0: Hello there, my name is Sarah Gump. I am the content manager for the Cedarville Stories podcast. Life is messy. Just ask today's guest, Ken Ernie. Ken, a 1978 graduate, discovered how messy life could be as a student athlete when he played in 70 mile per hour winds, snow, and rain as a member of the men's tennis team. During the quiet of the pandemic, Ken learned he had amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or ALS. Since receiving his diagnosis, Ken and Lori, his wife of 42 years and a fellow Cedarville alum, have committed to living each day to the fullest. Ken has recorded more than 100 messages so far for Lori, his kids, grandkids, and other loved ones for when he is no longer able to speak, a symptom of ALS. At the heart of these messages is that although life is messy, we have a God who says he will come right alongside us and never leave or forsake us.
1: Thank you, Sarah, and welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. I am Mark Weinstein, and it's great to have you back for another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. Before I get to my guest today, I want to remind you that you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. By subscribing, all podcasts will be sent to your email account, which is a great way to not miss a single episode. So I encourage you to subscribe today to the podcast. For today's program, I'm talking with 1978 alumnus Ken Ernie, the former soccer coach and athletic director at Fruitport High School in Michigan. Ken is attributed to starting the soccer programs at Faith Christian and Fruitport High School, and during his coaching career, his teams won three hundred and thirty five contests as I mentioned he has also served as the athletic director a position he stepped down from in September of 2020 now there are many reasons why I wanted to have Ken on the program today first and foremost it's because Ken has been faithful to the gospel in his life as a husband a father coach school administrator and a friend since the time that Ken was confirmed to be the guest I've heard from several of his college friends just how excited they are to be able to hear Ken share his story on the program. I'm sure you're going to really enjoy my conversation today with Ken Ernie. Ken and his wife Lori have four adult children, and it's my pleasure to welcome the winningest coach in Fruitport soccer history, Coach Ken Ernie, to today's Cedarville Stories podcast Ken is fresh off a week's vacation down in sunny Florida. So how was the sunshine state for you, Ken?
2: To be honest with you, uh, the weather was nicer when we came back to Michigan than it was that week in Florida, but it was all about visiting um, my son, who is assistant athletic director at a a community college called Santa Fe. Okay. Uh, Visiting him and his family and our little one-year-old granddaughter that we rarely got a chance to see. So that was the special part of it.
1: Where in Florida did you go? Uh, Gainesville okay so that's way up north so that that speaks to why it wasn't great weather right yeah probably yeah uh,
2: it's starting to get in summer summer mode there with showers every day that type of thing and I understand your idea
1: about uh, weather was better when you came back up to Michigan you know I visit my parents who live in uh, the Saint Joe Michigan area uh, mm-hmm. regularly and uh, like every time we come up there it's it's blue sky sunny and my dad always says this this is how it is in Michigan so I guess that's the way it is.
2: Well, my story about Michigan is um, the first time I was there. I promised I would never come back, so it's a little <laughs> different than yours. We were playing tennis at Spring Arbor and Hillsdale on a weekend trip, yeah. and it was it was uh, seventy mile an hour winds, tornado watches, snow and rain, and we still played the matches somehow. And I promised myself, which I know you should never do is I will never live in Michigan because I thought it was like that all the time. Yeah true story is that it's not it's a beautiful place to live. we've been here for um, 40 plus years now and it's been a great place. West Michigan especially is awesome.
1: Yeah West Michigan is is uh, it's hard to beat unless you go to the Upper Peninsula and but uh, we won't <laughs> we won't go there today so um, mm. uh, as I mentioned in the introduction, Ken graduated from Cedarville uh, back in 1978. Uh, he's originally from burlington new jersey just outside of philadelphia i'm interested ken how did you decide to enroll at
2: cedarville from being from new jersey um we had some people from our church first of all that were from cedarville or attended cedarville respected them highly they spoke highly of the school um we did uh apply to a couple places and the irony of one is that there's a uh school in Indiana that I applied to as well as Cedarville and for some reason on the physical forms that they have I still I think they still probably do it all the doctor check boxes whether you have ever had these diseases or not yeah I believe the forms were different for Cedarville's than they were for the other school and the doctor just checked the left side of both and the left side on the one in Indiana showed that I must have had every conceivable sickness and ailment (laughs) and I never even turned it in I thought they don't want to see this so uh, I went to Cedarville after visiting played some tennis um, with uh, Kirk Martin who we just talked about a little while ago and uh, met Dr. Murdoch and and kind of fell in love with Cedarville at that point uh, during my senior year so it was people who I knew that just spoke highly of it and then it was the visit uh, that went well during that senior year uh,
1: that's that's really neat to hear, and it's not a story that's unfamiliar to me because I hear that with prospective students even today that uh, they come to campus, uh, they meet the people, they see the campus. Obviously, it's a, it's a fit academically and spiritually, and they just fall in love with what's here because mm-hmm. uh, uh, this is a special place, and you know that uh, better than I do. Um, but as I look back I, at your college years now, uh, you mentioned to it's been forty. Actually, 43 years, if my math is correct. Um, what would you say were the defining moments that uh, set you on a course for serving and teaching others so well with a gospel purpose?
2: Well, it took a while to declare a major. I think almost four complete semesters. Um, and I got to say that like thousands of people, the influence of Murray Murdoch, Coach Murdoch. Yeah has to be the first thing that comes to mind as a coach, but also as a history teacher. I listened recently uh, to his most recent podcast, yeah. and it's almost like I could hear his voice 40 some years ago um, talking about the history lectures and talking about uh, contemporary issues then that apply now, uh, talking about the Christian mindset. That stuff like rung a bell with me. So. I think that he was influential in choosing a major, going into education, um, as well as in coaching. An, an enormous influence.
1: Well, that's, um, again, that's not surprising to hear knowing, uh, oh. <laughs> knowing Dr. Murdoch uh, as well as we both do. And uh, um, it's, it's, it's fun and enjoyable to watch him still move around campus, still Im- impact students he does it a little slower today than he did when you were back uh, as a student. That's obvious. He's uh, in his 80s, uh, but he's still doing well, um, so that's great to hear. So soon after you graduated from Cedarville, uh, you were hired by Fruitport Faith Christian to teach history and launch the school's first ever soccer program. That, there's a theme there, um, and you also served as the AD. Uh, but then in 1990, you were hired by Fruitport Community Education to coach Fruitport's first soccer program for that school. How difficult or easy is it to start two soccer programs from scratch?
2: Well, when I first started in um, 1990 at uh, the high school, there were some established uh, relationships, or there were, there were uh, club teams that we started, summer programs, summer camps. But if I go back to 1978, our community was so new to soccer. It was a real plus. Um, There were no experts, parents. Right, um, right. There was no experienced players. And it's almost like it didn't matter what I knew. (laughs) They seemed to buy in. And it's a whole different culture now. We don't have to talk about that part. But it was wide open arms, so to speak, to this new sport. Um, And it wasn't new to absolutely everyone in West Michigan. There were the Christian reform private schools that had been playing it for years, but it wasn't in public schools yet. It wasn't in a lot of the Christian schools uh, that I'm associated with. So it was just, it was a golden opportunity. So um, fast forward to 1990, moving over to Fruitport Community Schools, uh, the public school system, it was a football school. It's a football community, you know, it's big time football in in this area. And um, people said that you'll never get along with football coaches or you'll never be able to change the culture but because of some established relationships some youth camps and all those things like i said there were open arms even with our football coach we worked together we provided kickers for them and and we were a big enough school that there were some years where both football and soccer were successful and i think it's because how you treat people counts how it matters so and that's not directly answering your question specifically but it was it was easier than harder mm-hmm. in both cases to start a soccer program one because nobody knew anything about it and two because the relationships have been established of trust and of, of hard work so you talk about uh, the relationships I mean you,
1: you hit you hit on a, a key element that sometimes is lacking in our society today of us working together you see it in politics every day. Where did you learn the importance of working together, even if you don't agree?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think part of it may be in the wiring of who I am. Um, and, and I look to my parents and, and grandparents and, and uh, blessed by them and, and how they operate with, with people. I think it's a simple principle. And it, it, it's not easy to, to say, but it's, it's treat everybody really, really well everybody you come in contact with. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether you disagree with them or not. So if you live by that, um, that opens a lot of doors. Treat people well. Yeah. Good good point. So in
1: 2008, uh, you stepped away from coaching. um, And at last September, you stepped away from being the athletic director at Fruitport High School. It's not something you wanted to do, but health right. reasons uh, drove you to that decision can you share with us what was going on with you from a health perspective that led you to that decision
2: yeah um first of all i would i had in mind that maybe i would stay a couple more years we we're building a new high school and i would have loved to have uh, been a part of that and i was also kind of training a uh, a man for being my predecessor which uh, was really important to me that we prepare you know, the next person, but little did I know two years ago that I would be training him to start sooner than later. Right. Uh, So uh, just as COVID hit last winter, late last winter, uh, was March when everything shut down. It was the first time I noticed there's something physically wrong. Mm -hmm. But then as I looked back, it probably started in January, but I was working so hard and busy that it wasn't something that I wanted to pay attention to and didn't. So um, when the shutdown happened and we're going from 60 hour weeks or 70 hour weeks to zero uh, working from home, I noticed that my leg wasn't working right. My foot wasn't stepping right. And at first I thought I just had bad shoes. So I went out and bought really expensive (laughs) shoes and that wasn't the case. So um, COVID did not allow us to get tested or go in and see, you know, medical people for quite a while when the chance came. Uh, we had EMG tests and uh, the results were something's wrong, but we don't know what it is. And we pretty sure it's not any of the bad stuff. It's not MS, it's not ALS. So I was assuming in March and April that in May of last year that probably I had a bad back, you know, guys our age, sometimes have disc problems or whatever. And, um, and so we didn't know what the what the deal was, but um, there was an appointment for a specialist that was going to be June the 30th. And so the only thing I could do is look online and say, what what could this possibly be? Now, there's some dangers in that, right? but um, there's some decent websites too. And it's funny that my symptoms, as they got progressed, uh, checked all the boxes for ALS. And the very last thing, the, the box is that it says it's very rare. There's only thirty thousand people in the country that that have it. So I figured it couldn't it couldn't be me because it's too rare. Right. It's like you can't win the million dollar lottery. It's just too rare. Right. So I just assumed I had that back injury until June the thirtieth came. I uh, went to Spectrum in Grand Rapids, and um, the specialist there uh, said I I think you got ALS. And it was it was kind of strange because I went by myself, think, telling Lori, my wife, that you don't have to go; it's going to be a back injury. And so he said, well, "You better come back tomorrow and bring your wife, and we'll redo all the tests." So on that day, June the thirtieth of last year, um, it was confirmed that ALS was a diagnosis, mm. and um, and you, you're sitting there wondering how all this works. And uh, I I asked the doctor, well what do we do? And he said, go home and grieve um, because this is a disease that's progressive, there's no cure and it's fatal. Mm. So in my little mind, I'm trying to think of something humorous to respond about, you know, cause I want to keep it. And I kept it to myself, but like nothing came out. I just, it just couldn't comprehend it. So we did go home and comprehend, but before we did that, my family uh, almost all of them except for my son in florida and gathered around in a park that was about a quarter mile from the hospital and to me that was the start of our journey yeah uh, we sat around quietly we prayed we shouted we cried mm-hmm. it was it was day one where everybody said i'm with you in this journey yeah so it's emotional and it's part of this disease too yeah so forgive me if it no, that's a voice crack. Um, but that was day one, and you know what? Uh, I just was thinking that within hours of that, my wife and I were driving home, and for the very first time, we heard the song by Big Daddy Weave. I know. Yeah. And it was like, are you kidding? This is this this is the words that we're feeling. Yeah. And um, we're going to trust God in this, and and so day one. Uh, of this diagnosis we chart as that day with so much family support so much feeling that god has joined us in this mess yeah and ready to go
1: yeah so i don't know what day you're on right now but <laughs> how are you doing
2: physically um i'm understanding that it's progressive because i you feel it um it's it started with a weakness in the legs and it's still there and they're getting weaker so it's hard to walk hard to stand okay i still have a lot of other functions i'm thankful for um i do feel like my arms are getting weaker and um um you know there's constant muscle twitching going on 24 hours a day that type of thing but it's interesting because it's it's mostly a painless disease Hmm. and um i'm kind of a wimp so i'm really (laughs) glad that i don't have pain it's generally weakness and fatigue like crazy, um, which I'm not used to either because of previously going through you know long work weeks and you're going 100 miles an hour, right? And uh, so fatigue and weakness. Um, I know that it eventually affects your voice, um, your breathing, your ability to swallow, your ability to eat, your ability to to uh, function and move and so forth. But I'm thankful that right now. And it's probably been 15 months since first feeling symptoms. Um, It tends to be in legs, uh, the weakness and no ability to walk very quickly or stand up for more than a minute or two. Is that typical that it starts in the legs or or no? It is is a strange disease. Um, I think the best place for it to start is in the limbs, arms or legs. Sometimes it starts in people's throat uh, or chest and it's, uh, that particular episode tends to be much quicker uh, and much more fatal quicker, quickly I should say. So it's all over, it's, it's different with so many people. I think that's why in diagnosing, um, I hear that 40% of diagnoses are false negatives. Okay. Um, they don't come around to ALS until they've tried everything else out.
1: Yeah, so on July 3rd of 2020, you shared this news um, in what had to be a very emotional Facebook post. I, I read it. I don't want to read the whole thing here. I'm, you know, I'm a to tear up myself. And, I, and this is the first time that we've met and uh, I'm, I'm so moved by your story. But you wrote this. I am grateful it's early. Thankful that it started in the legs. Thankful for the stark reminder of value time or to, to value time. God has promised to run t- toward us, walk with us, Never leave us alone in this struggle. What more can we ask? The words from the song "Blessings" have always been pertinent in the reality of the human struggle. And part of the lyrics say, "What if my? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of life are your mercies in disguise?" I share that because that's a very meaningful uh, statement that you posted on Facebook back in July of 2020, but I'm interested in knowing, how do you see your current path with ALS as God's mercies in disguise?
2: Well, that's great because I want you to know, and everybody listening, that sometimes it's so easy to use God talk and faith and make yourself look good and all that. The fact is, is that there will be bad days. I know that. But like never before, I've experienced the presence of God. I mean, the scripture has been a part of my growing up and church and so forth for for as long as I can remember. So some of the same scripture that I used to read, I see it so differently now. Mm. And it includes things like the struggles we're going through now, 2 Corinthians 4 somewhere in there are nothing compared to what lies ahead. Yeah, I um, I think that God joins us in the mess that we're in, and He promises that. Um, ALS, in a sense, has given me the opportunity to think deeper, to, to grow in the Scripture, to understand it totally different. It applies so much more directly to me than it ever has before. Um, his mercies in disguise also could be that I got to tell you, Mark, I've had some communication, some family members, um, some uh, conversation that I would never have had if it wasn't for ALS. Yeah. Um, You know, reading in the scripture is so much more meaning. If it wasn't for this, I wouldn't have been able to do a lot of things that I get to do. I mean, this is morbid, but I get to plan a funeral. I get to... Uh, playing in a state which I never paid attention to that stuff and I never would have but those conversations, those heartfelt times um, might be God saying you know, you you have this opportunity now, Yeah, Uh, I've had chances even after retirement to speak to small groups and to teams uh, and I'm blessed by that but that wouldn't have happened it wouldn't have if if it wasn't for this Uh, let it be known that I hate ALS yeah, And I hope that's okay. Yeah, it is. But where God in the scripture says rejoice in all things, I think he's saying your attitude, you can rejoice that God is good in spite of it. You don't have to be thankful for the disease, but be thankful for what opportunities now have risen that wouldn't have been there.
1: And I, and I want to say, not only just the opportunities that you have now, which, which you, you've outlined some, but... You know, you, you don't want to leave your family, but wh- where you're going, where we're all going who know Jesus, is far greater than the, the present struggles that we face every day, right? Right. Um, how, how's Lori doing, and how's how are the kids doing?
2: Um, Lori is been a faithful wife for 42 years. I got to say that uh, I think she's a rock star. She struggles physically, too, so we're both in this thing together in a lot of ways. Yeah um the kids have been unbelievable um in support and so many things dealing with school and with uh the home building that I haven't even talked about but um they I just feel their support they come alongside uh we have good conversations together and I and I think it's going to be that way I just want them yeah. to to know how much they're loved and appreciated and that they can never um feel like they haven't done enough because I already feel like they have
1: yeah I bet you tell them that all the time now even more than you ever would
2: well interestingly Mark a few minutes ago before this I got back to this project they they give you a recorder and this recorder you you use when you can to relay messages they might be dealing with uh, how you feel or, or or orders of what you'd like to do or what you need but I'm trying to use it as messages to my children and grandchildren more than anything. My wife, loved ones, uh, read scripture, yeah. read children's books, stories, and so forth. So uh, it's hard to do because you can't picture when they're going to need it. Right. But uh, there's a good chance that in this disease you lose your voice, and yet so far I'm just over a hundred messages of uh, things that I want to leave with my family. It's hard to do to force yourself to do it on a beautiful sunny day, but uh, everyone in this business says, do it now while you can.
1: Yeah, that's a great, that's great encouragement to do and uh, it's a great treasure that your family will have. Before we conclude today's program, uh, I wanted to really wrap up. We're, we're, we're near the end of the podcast, but I want to wrap up the program by going what, what I say back to the future, so to speak. Um, when you were a student at Cedarville, you played on the tennis team, as you mentioned, that was coached by Murray Murdoch. As Dr. Murdoch um, actually joins us right now on the podcast, <laughs> um, I wanted to reconnect uh, you, Ken, with your your coach. And uh, what what do you th- what do you have to say to Coach, coach Murdoch as uh, as he joins us here on the podcast? Hi, Dr. Murdoch.
3: How you doing, Mark?
1: Hey, say hi to your co- your stu- your your player Ken Ernie.
3: Hey, Ken, how you doing, man? <laughs> it's so good to see you, brother.
2: I'm doing well, thank you. How about you?
3: Oh, I'm good. You look great.
2: <laughs> Thanks. You you bring back good memories, brother. It's just been really good to see you. Oh, hey, Murray. You,
1: Ken. Murray, <laughs> what what kind of player was uh, Ken Ernie in the day?
3: He was a good player. Uh, one of our one of our most devastating moments in the Four years he was here was when he broke his wrist on the way to a major tournament. Remember that, Ken? Uh, I sure do. Yeah, we were. I was going to bring that up. We were playing Ashland College, and you broke your wrist, and you wanted to play so bad you could taste it.
2: Yeah. And a chance for nationals went down the drain for me, but our team did go that year. Yes, too. we
3: did. We were, but we lost a seeded player for the tournament, and that hurt like everything. We weren't sure we were going to pull it off without you, but. God was good to us. Well,
2: I don't know it was that drastic, but um, I remember, and and Coach, this is you. You may not remember it, but it was a sleepless night sitting there in pain, trying to sleep on the floor of wherever we were that night. And um, I probably kept you awake, and you said, well, why don't we just go to the hospital and get x-rays? About 4 in the morning, you and I went to the emergency and confirmed and got a cast on. And I'm not sure, but I, I'm thinking you and I went out to breakfast afterwards. You yeah. talk about relationships and impact. This negative experience was such a positive one for me for years to come, Coach.
3: Oh, that's great, Ken. I remember that situation so graphically because there was. <laughs> you were such a good guy and it was such a disappointment to you. I'll tell you how good a guy he is, Mark. My youngest son, Mark, was born in 69. And Mark always said, Ken Ernie's my favorite tennis player. in the whole world. <laughs> I want to be a tennis player like Ken Ernie.
2: You tell Mark I'll pay him later
1: for that. <laughs> that's
3: it.
1: That's a great, uh, great tribute to you, Ken uh, uh, Murray. What, what, uh, what uh, rose Ken in the eyes of Mark so, so highly?
3: Well, if you've talked to Ken for half an hour or so, you probably already know the answer. To that he he was a wonderful, godly kid. He was a beautiful teammate. He was the kind of guy that was the glue of the team. He really was because uh, he just cared so much. I'll tell you my my favorite story, Ken. I don't know whether you remember this, but you and Steve Stairs were playing. You were doubles partners, as I recall. Yeah. And you were playing a challenge match. And one of the best matches I've seen in the whole time I coached, and that was between teammates. And you won yeah. the match. And you came off the court in tears. And you said, Coach, why does winning hurt so much sometimes? And that's one of my favorite stories of any athlete I've ever coached because the competitiveness was there, but the love for your teammate was there too.
1: It is so good to see you guys interact. And I just watching you guys on screen it, it, um, just brings great emotion to me. And so um, I'm glad that um, – I was able to connect uh, you, Murray, with uh, Ken and uh, share a little bit. But I'm going to go back to uh, a question for Ken, and um, obviously, Coach Murdoch had an incredible impact on your on your life on your coaching career. But um, the, the at the core of the Cedarville Stories podcast is to um, share Cedarville stories for God's glory. How how do you hope or believe? You are bringing God glory right now as you walk through this journey of ALS and dealing with what you have to
2: face. Well, walking through this, I mean, I'm just probably in the beginning stages, first of all, in in a sense. Um, I think I've learned through experiences from Cedarville, from coaching, teaching from people like Coach Murdoch that – There's a lesson out there, even especially for Christians, that uh, life is messy, that God promises you to join you in the mess. He might not get you out of it. Um, And with that, I think there's an opportunity to reach into people's lives, because look at, I'm not the only one suffering. Everybody will see this in their lives. I don't mean ALS, but suffering and pain of some kind. So, I'm normal, I'm not unique in any way, but I really think that there's so many opportunities because of this to reach into lives and care about them because life is messy, and yet we have a God who says, I'll come right alongside you and I won't leave you uh, in spite of anything, and that the future is, is so much better compared to what we're going through now.
1: Thanks for sharing. Uh, Dr. Murdoch, any, uh, any parting comments to your former uh, star athlete?
3: Well, Ken, I, I, I think of you and Laurie often and pray for you faithfully. I want you to know we love you. And I've never met any of your kids, but I, I feel like I know them because of, I know you and Laurie so well. And uh, give my love to Laurie and know that we're praying for all of you.
2: Amen. I will do that, Coach. It's so special to, to have this connection. I had no idea Mark was going to do this. Coach, I heard your podcast, uh, the most recent one, and it was almost as if I was still in your classroom <laughs> when we're talking about a Christian mindset and a uh, Christian worldview and uh, facts aren't neutral. I love that. Amen. And it's just been a refresher to, to hear what I heard years ago and your steadiness over the years, it's like unprecedented thank you so much for who you are
3: well thanks for who you are too ken love you man all right god bless you brother
2: and i'm just
1: thankful to, to be the third party in this conversation because uh it's been a joy to, to be with both of you ken it's obviously the first time that we've ever spoken uh in, other than a brief time on the phone i, I guess but uh mm-hmm. i i've just grown to admire you so much already uh i love you too and um uh, as a brother and uh i'll be praying for you in your journey and i want to encourage uh, all those who are listening to this podcast today to pray for ken and Lori as they walk through this tough journey of als uh they're in they're in it t- together um the lord will not leave us or forsake us and he won't leave ken or Lori as well and so pray for ken Lori, and, and, the, and the family as they walk through this and uh ken uh Thanks for being my guest today on the Cedarville Stories podcast, and I hope to uh, talk to you again down the road.
2: It was really special. Thanks. Thanks, Dr. Murdoch, as well. Thanks, Mark, for making that arrangement. That was really cool.
3: Thanks, Ken.
0: Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.